0: This morning, man, we're continuing the summer mixtape series, and today we got a treat for you. We got Brent Crow. Brent Crow is the vice president of an organization called Student Leadership University. Uh, Many of you know in February, we've done an event called Lift Her. Brent uh, is a big part of that, leading that, leading that organization that's ministering to thousands upon thousands of teenagers every year. Uh, They also do leadership development uh, and uh, events called Student Leadership 101-201-301-401. One, which my daughter has been through, uh, part of y'all's program, all the way through 301. I'm telling you, if you want a great leadership program for your kids to go through that help them go faster, further, for the name of Jesus in this leadership area, I encourage you to have your kids go. We do that as a church, and are part of that as a church. But would y'all help me welcome Brent Crow today?
1: Right, all right. Good morning, everybody. Good. Yes, sir. After he- I mean, well, first of all, we 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 listened to the cover of "Eye of the Tiger." Can I get an amen? in? And that, if that doesn't get you in the mood to worship, I then something's wrong, right? Okay. So, I uh, uh, I love love the Rocky movies. Do I have any Rocky fans in the in, in the maybe? Okay. All right. All right. Some of you are going. Are we allowed to do that? You know, yes, we are. Um, And so, we at my house are actually working our way through the Rocky movies. So I have a 9-year-old, a an 11-year-old, and a, and a 12-year-old. So we're working our way through the Rocky movies. And uh, uh, you remember in the, in the first Rocky movie, if you've never seen any of the Rocky movies, I can tell you the whole thing about every one of them. He's not supposed to win, and somehow he does every time, right? Okay, that's, that's, that's the theme of Rocky. And, um, uh, and so it, it, the, my kids, are, we're working our way through it. And so he, he makes this statement in Rocky 1, because he's supposed to work for a bad guy, and he's a fighter, but he doesn't know he can be a professional fighter yet, and he hasn't gotten his big break yet. And so he was supposed to break a guy's thumb that didn't pay off a debt, and that was his job, but he's too nice of a guy to do that. And so he's, he's walking away, and he just yells back, I should have broke your thumb, like that, you know. And, and so I my kids go to school and particularly my 9 year old everybody that looks at her the wrong way she just goes i should have broke your thumb <laughs> like that right and so the teacher calls us and asks us what's going on is she threatening violent or against another child and i'm like no it's just it's just a rocky movie she's good right okay and so uh, but i had the tigers from rocky 3 and that rocky fights a guy named clubber lane which is played by the one and the only, the notorious Mr. T, right? And if you know anything about iconic figures from the 80s in pop culture, they don't come any larger than life than Mr. T. And so Rocky loses a fight to Mr. T, and he's then trained by his former opponent, Apollo Creed, to step back in the ring and fight. Clubber Lane slash Mr. T again and somehow get the title back. And to do that, he's got to get the eye of the tiger, right? Which is to say, to have the eye of the tiger means that you have the confidence that you are a winner, right? And 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 so I as I was thinking through, you're never supposed to do it this way, right? But they were they told me summer mixtape series, turn in a song. And so I think mixtape, I think 80s, and so I turned in Eye of the Tiger. I should have started with what's a scripture and then picked a song, but I just got so excited. I was like, Eye of the Tiger, and now we got to figure out what scripture we're going to go to. I haven't found any tigers in the Bible. So, um, but uh, I do think if we're doing a four-week summer mixtape series, uh, last week we heard a phenomenal message on grace. Uh, but if we're talking about a mixtape, those, those are supposed to be the best songs, right? We've got to talk about the resurrection, right? And so this morning, I, I want to talk to you about Jesus when he appeared to the disciples in the upper, the, upper room. And, and, and we're, this is Eye of the Tiger type stuff. And now before I get you know, into our text, before we turn there, before anything, I just want to say this is a special place. I, I love this church. Love your staff. Your pastor is uh, one of my favorite people. He's a good friend, but he's also someone who's a, a a little further ahead in the journey than I am, which is my nice way of saying he's older than I am. And uh, uh, and and yet, someone who gives me advice, someone I look up to. So you have just such a phenom- And this is a I love this church. If we lived in Tulsa, we don't. We live in Orlando, but if we lived in Tulsa, we would be part. Of this church, I love the fact that there's so many campuses, and right now we're not just gathered here at this campus, but at Jinx and Owasa, uh, Owasso, and Midtown, and South Tulsa, and Downtown, and 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 one of the other things I love about this church is the uh, significant emphasis on next generation ministry, whether it's kids camp or whether it's student camp, and so uh, student camp is coming up uh, about a month away from it. And if you haven't registered for it, I, let me just say to you, it is uh, camp I- is a place and an environment in which a defining moment can happen that will impact all the other moments of your life. And so you, 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 if you've never even been to youth camp before, you don't wanna miss this thing, right? I mean, you, you gotta go. So if you haven't registered, uh, get signed up. If you're a student in this room, uh, go ahead and get signed up. Um, even if you don't have your parents' permission. No, I'm just kidding. Not really. But anyways, and if you're a parent, I would go ahead and sign your kid up for this. So, All right. Well, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it and turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And let me just set the stage for us. We're going to begin reading in verse 19 in just a moment. Jesus has uh, not only died on the cross for our sins, so... Jesus hung on the cross for six hours, 9 a.m. in the morning until 3 p.m. in the afternoon. During that time frame, he makes seven statements, primarily directed to four audiences. So he addressed this crowd that was mocking him in ignorance. Uh, He addressed the thief that was repentant, and he addressed um, his... Mother, but also those who are part of his kind of inner circle or community. He was talking to John, but he was talking about his mother, his earthly mother. And then he addresses his father in heaven. So there are four audiences that Jesus addresses during the six hours that he hangs on the cross. And then he dies. We read that he breathes his last. Now, before he went to the cross, as a matter of fact, before his last... Trial before his final arrest, if you will, he was in the upper room, uh, and that's just a fancy way of saying that there was this room that he met with the disciples, and they shared one last meal. And he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, or if you grew up in a Catholic background, you might refer to it as communion, where we take the elements, the bread, and... The juice slash wine, depending on how you grew up, right? And so those elements, and that, that represents his body that was broken and his blood that was spilled out. And that really altogether represents this thing that we call in the church the new covenant, which is to say that there is a sacred agreement between God and man in Christ Jesus, I mean, you realize that the entire Old Testament and all of the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament could never make a way for us back into right relationship with God. In fact, I don't know if you have a credit card. If you have a credit card, most people have a credit card. All of the Old Testament sacrificial system is kind of like a credit card, right? You put that card down and you, you, you buy whatever it is you're buying on credit, right? And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he is the only covenant in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have several. In the New Testament, we only need one sacred agreement or covenant. The word covenant means sacred agreement. We only need one sacred agreement, and that is the agreement that we have through the sacrificial love of Christ Jesus on the cross. God has agreed that the debt, the sin debt, of all of mankind has now been paid in full. The credit card's been paid off by Jesus. Right, okay? So this is what's happened. And he has this meeting in the upper room. Then he gets arrested, and then there's the beating and the trial. Matter of fact, I'm going to be in Jerusalem next week with a group of about 100 students, and we're going to we're going to go to the Praetorium. We're going to go to the place where he was beaten. We're going to walk down the Via della Rosa. We're going to go to the Garden Tomb. We're going to overlook uh, the place of the skull or Calvary and Gal- or Galgotha. We're going to you're going to we're going to see these these places. And 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 here's what I want to say to you is that we have the disciples in the upper room. And then now we have them in the upper room again in John 20. But the mood is very different. They're scared. They are literally hiding for their lives. They, they are terrified that the same people who brought Jesus in front of a Roman ruler and had him executed are going to find them, arrest them, and then bring them on trumped up charges and have them killed as well. They are Terrified. I mean, these are the same people that walked with Jesus for three years. They have seen him cast out demons. They have seen him heal all kinds of diseases. They have seen him bring someone back to life. And now they're afraid of these Jewish rulers who want to stop this movement that this renegade rabbi from the backside of nowhere named Jesus of Nazareth had started. That's the the context. John chapter 20 and verse 19. And then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, let me give you a piece of useless trivia for the sermon, but but we'll impress your friends at parties. Uh, This verse is where we get the tradition to meet on Sundays, right? So it comes from this verse, being the first day of the week when they were gathered in this room. And so that same day at evening, and, and I guess you could make an argument for Sunday night church there, but anyways, that might be going a little far. Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, right? The door, there's an emphasis on the doors being shut. And, and why? Look at the next part. For fear of the Jews. Right, So the disciples of Jesus, Peter, who just cut some dude's ear off and Jesus picked it up off the ground and put it back on the guy's head like it was nothing. You live by the sword, you die by the sword, Peter. Oh, by the way, I can reattach the ear without surgery. I mean, you just think about for a moment all that they have seen. And experienced. And they're afraid. It's a a word of caution to all of us. Like some of you in this room, you follow Jesus. But you're just one event, one circumstance, one bad phone call away from living in fear again. Fear is a prison that we can just, if we're not careful, we could just sink deeper and deeper into this emotional pit. And so here they are. I mean... Five minutes ago, they were in this room breaking bread and the Lord's Supper and communion, and now the doors are shut, and they're fearing for their lives. And then continue to read with me. And then Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Now, I don't know how Jesus got there. I don't know. I think we can use our imaginations, right? Maybe Jesus did a beam-me-up Scotty thing from Star Trek. Maybe he wasn't there, and then he was there, right? Maybe he floated through the door. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, he did just rise from the dead. Maybe he walked up to that locked door and went, doors thou shaltest unlocketh and the door unlocked. I don't don't know, but Jesus now appears in their midst and he says these words, look back at your scriptures, peace be with you. Now, I'm going to continue to read, and then we're going to go back and, and study, study this text together. Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And, and then the disciples of the Lord were glad when they saw uh, the Lord. And, and so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. And then he's going he's gonna to say something uh, that is very important and relevant, not just for the disciples... But now, incredibly relevant for every one of us in this room. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. He's commissioning them. In other words, he's going, uh, hiding behind closed doors is not uh, what the movement that I have begun is really all about. The movement that I'm starting is not about hiding. It's about advancing. Right? And I want us to keep that in mind as Christians who live in a very broken and even scary world at times. And so he says that the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I'll explain that a little bit more in just a moment. And then verse 23. Now, I'm gonna read to you verse 23. But here's the skinny guys. You gotta, you gotta be careful. I gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. We all gotta be careful. Verse 23, if read by itself out of context ...can cause a lot of problems. And some people have done that with certain verses of Scripture. This is a verse you got to read in context. Okay? And so, in light of everything that Jesus has said now, he goes, Okay, I'm sending you, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are forgiven are retained. Jesus was not suggesting, he was not suggesting to the disciples, you have the power to forgive sin. And, and, and uh, 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 every one of us in this room should just give a subtle amen to this next statement. Only God can forgive sin. Amen. Right. Only the forgiveness of sin rests only in the hands of Of God, then what is Jesus saying here? How should we interpret this verse? And I think the best way to interpret a verse of Scripture is when, bless you, is when the Scriptures interpret that verse for you. Right? Okay? So I could pontificate, or some theologian who has more degrees than he knows what to do with could pontificate on the meaning of this verse, but... What if we just let one of the guys that was in the room interpret the verse for us? And Peter was in that room. And in the book of Acts, Peter is preaching the gospel to the house of Cornelius. And actually that entire house uh, converted to Christianity. They gave their lives to Jesus. They were baptized that same day. All of those good things happened. And here is what Peter said. Now Peter's in the upper room. Peter receives this commissioning from Jesus goes out and advances the movement of Christianity, will suffer a very similar fate as Jesus did at the end of his life. But here is how Peter interpreted verse 23. In Acts chapter uh, 10, I believe it's in, in verse 43, he's in the house of Cornelius, and he does not say, everyone in this house who confesses their sins to me, I will forgive them of their sins. No, that's not what Peter says. But he does say this. Everyone who believes in him, being Jesus, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. So Jesus is the only one who can forgive sins, but what is Peter doing here? Peter is accentuating the message of forgiveness. Let me say that a different way. If someone confesses their sins, repents of their sins, and places their trust in Jesus, then Peter's going, then I have the authority to look at them and say with all confidence, you are forgiven. We as Christians who have experienced the grace of Jesus, I know you got a, a great sermon on the grace of Jesus last, last week. You know, the, my definition of grace is this. Grace is Jesus personified. Right? And so, so you can't understand grace separate from the sacrificial love of God in Christ Jesus on the cross. And so, and so Jesus is the only one that can forgive. But if we have been forgiven and someone tells us that they are trusting Jesus with their life, then we can declare forgiveness. We can say, I've been there. I've been through that. I've been forgiven as well. It's real. It's authentic. God really does forgive you. We are simply to be those who reinforce the message. And that's what's happening in verse 23. Now, I wanted to explain that first because I didn't, I don't want to end the sermon by dealing with a text that some people have misinterpreted. So, so here we go. We've done that. We've, we've, For all my students who have been to SOU, we've swallowed the big frog first. We've done the hard thing first, all right? So let's go back and let's walk through this text, okay? When Jesus shows up in the room, I mean Jesus shows up in the room. This is eye of the tiger stuff. When Jesus shows up in the room, I believe his presence offers us four things. I want you to write them down, if you will, this morning very quickly. Number one, I believe his presence offers us freedom from fear. His presence offers us uh, uh, freedom from fear. The disciples were fearful because the Jews were running the streets and they were trying to hunt them down. They were trying to find them and imprison them and execute them. And and They were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that the very very fate that Jesus had suffered would befall them because they had followed Jesus. They were literally uh, afraid of the Jews. Now, I want you to get... This perspective, they were afraid of the Jews and the Jews that, or the Bible mentions that it is the Jewish people who were responsible in large measure for the crucifixion of Jesus. Now watch this. The disciples believed that the bad guys were out there, not in here. The disciples believed the guilty those who were responsible for the death of Jesus were running the streets. They weren't in the upper room. And anytime our thinking shifts to the point where we believe that other people, those are the bad guys that Jesus died for, they're the real sinners, we have placed ourselves in a very dangerous position. As a matter of fact, we've opened ourselves up to fear, right? And so the bad guys were out there. They weren't in here. And they were afraid of those, of those bad guys. And they were afraid of what the Jews were going to do to them if they were to catch them. And, 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 and I want you to write this down in your notes. That, that fear is a consequence of the fall. Right? This is the reason that we fear as human beings is not because God designed us to be afraid. Can I just say this with with, with, all the, with a full measure of confidence in my mind and in my heart? God never intended for Adam and Eve to be afraid. He created them perfect, complete. Everything was as it should be. Fear doesn't become a human emotion until they disobey God. Which which means this, if I could just go so far as to skip from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. There's a real day in which God will make all things new again. There's a real day in which there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. There's a real day in which, as a friend of mine says it, God's going to blow the whistle and call all the kids out the pool, right? There's a real day in which God will return, Jesus will return and take his children home, as they say. And so there is this real day in which everything's going to be made new again. On that day and from that day forward for all eternity, Fear will never be a human emotion again. Do you see it? This this emotion, and there's a lot to be afraid of in the broken world in which we live, is directly tied to mankind's rebellion and sin. Right? I've... Uh, my wife and I've been married for 15 years, and we got three little kids, and they're they're a lot of fun. and And and, and I was uh, a few summers ago, I was at my uh, I was at my office in Orlando, Florida. Now, for me, a day in the office is in in the summer is very very rare because it's just you know it's a heavy event season. So I've this is uh, I've already done two camps and an eight week. Uh, filming thing already in the last two and a half weeks of summer, right? I mean, it's summers are just busy and, and I'll do four Sunday mornings and then I'll do 11 conferences. All of that will happen over the course of about nine, nine and a half weeks. It's, so to get a day in the office, I usually get one, maybe two days in the office in the summer at best. And so I'm having one of my rare days in the office. And I'm, I'm, I have people who were literally flying in to meet with me on that day. Three people had, had, they paid the money. They are flying in. They were going to come meet with me because it was the only day I had. And we were going to talk about something. I can't remember what it was, but I'm sure it's important. Right. And so I'm sitting there at my desk, awaiting for them to land and, and get their rental car or Uber or whatever it is and come to my office and my phone rings and, and I answer the phone. It's my wife. And, and, and immediately, right, she's says these words through the phone to me. She says, Brent, come home now. Right? Now, you gotta understand something. My wife is a pretty she's pretty tough, right? She doesn't get rattled very often. She's she can handle herself, right? I mean, it's, it's, she's just a tough chick and I, I don't, I don't really worry about her when I'm gone on the road a lot. I don't worry. She is just, she can handle it, right? So to hear this in her, she's Italian and some stereotypes are true. Can I get an amen? All right. So, so like she is just a tough, tough person and, and, and she doesn't get rattled. And, and so to hear this in her voice, right? So she's, I'm like, well, baby, what is wrong? Is somebody hurt or is there, is there something, is the house on fire? Uh, and she goes, none of that. I need you just to come home now. Stop talking and come home now. And so I, I, I said, baby, I got three people who have just spent money to fly in just so they can sit in the office for the afternoon and we can have a conversation about a project. And she goes, I, I should have said, and, this, and I said this and I should not have said this. I then said to my wife, and this is a very important meeting, right? And to which she responds, and every wife in the room is already knowing, knows where we're headed with this, right? I don't care who they are, right? I mean, I, she may have done one of these or something, right? And she said, I don't care who they are. I am your wife. It's not that hard. Get in the car and come home now. So I get in the car and uh, turn on the car and crank the car. It's a seven minute drive from my office to my home. And so I call her on in, on, on the way home and I'm like, what in the world happened? And she goes, well, I'll tell you what happened. I was in the kitchen, and I was preparing lunch for the children. The two back doors were wide open, and they were on the back porch. We got a little pool area and a little back porch area, and they're out there, it's screened in, and they're playing on the back porch. And I just thought they were out there having a good time, and they were using their imaginations. And she said, one of the children comes running into the kitchen, and announces, mommy, mommy, there's a dragon on the back porch. Now, my, my wife informs me, she goes, I just thought that they were using their imagination and there was like a castle and dragons and princes and princesses and Angelina Jolie was in there somewhere or something, I don't know, right? And she said, so, so I was proud of them for using their imagination. So I'm like, well, here comes mommy. Mommy wants to see the dragon. And my wife goes out onto the back porch. And before I tell you the next part of the story, I need to tell you, that my wife loves Jesus, right? And, and, and she follows Jesus and tries to live a godly life uh, uh, and, and, and volunteers for everything at church and leads the Bible studies and does all those things, right? And so she, she walks out onto the back porch and immediately her eyeballs, she sees this four-foot-long serpent Not an imaginary serpent, either a real one on the back porch. And at that moment, she did what I call the mom swoop, right? Where she just kind of gathered her chicks in one fell swoop behind her, right? And so she gathers all three of our children in one swoop behind her. and, And then as she is doing that, she simultaneously opens her mouth. And what comes out? does not honor Jesus. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that right now. She dropped a bomb, right? And so she just... And she's telling me this over the phone, and I'm like, baby, you can't cuss. You know what I do for a living. I mean, you know, right? You know, and she, she was a little dramatic. She was like, "We were gonna die, right?" You know, Beth Moore would understood anyway. So, so we, she did the mom swoop, and she put, right, and then she said, and I, you know, even I get home, and my my, my son goes, "Mommy said a word, right?" <laughs> "Mommy, mommy said a word." "Daddy, what does that mean?" And I took great joy in saying this to my son. Uh, daddy doesn't know what that word means. You're just going to have to ask, you're going to have to ask mommy what that word (laughs) means, right? (laughs) And then she told me she had another word for me a little bit later on. And so, and so, and so she does this and, and, and she's so analytical. Um, You got to understand, I, we're, I grew up in the country. She grew up go into the country club. And and so her analytical Ivy League mindset, if you will, she opened, she wanted to know if the snake was poisonous. I have no idea why that was important information at this moment in time. Everybody's safe. So she gets her laptop and she looks up a picture of what she thinks the snake is. Then she takes her laptop on the back porch and she sets it on the ground and she takes a broom handle and she pushes the laptop over next to the four and a half foot long serpent, I said, "Well, what, what, what happened then?" And she goes, I, "It wouldn't stay still, so I could compare the screen to the real life thing, and then it lunged at me again." And and I'm just that, so that's what happened. So, but let me ask you a question: Why, why, why? Um, and I know it's so simple, but it's, 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 it's embedded into the fabric of the story that is the Bible. Why was she afraid? Why was that her first emotion? Why was fear her reaction? And I just want you to see this because it is, it is it, while that's funny, this, this, this emotion that we struggle with is, is no laughing matter. She was afraid because she lives in a different world than Adam and Eve lived in. She lives in a world that's broken. She lives in a world where people struggle with depression and anxiety, mental illness, abuse. I mean, on this day last year, she's a counselor. On this, this day right here, Last year, a woman that she had been counseling for months ended her life. The world is broken, guys. And it's being ripped apart by fear. And I just want you to know, and if it's, we see it in Genesis, but we also see it here. Jesus doesn't want, just for the cheap seats, Listen to me very closely. Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid. In fact, when Jesus shows up, fear has to leave the room. Fear and Jesus cannot cohabitate. And so we see number two not only is there freedom from fear, but number two, do you see this? There's peace in his presence. This is what I love. I love this about Jesus here. Watch this. I love this. Jesus shows up in the room. Now, he, he could have showed up in the room like this, wringing his hands. He could have shown up in the room like this, like, guys, it's a good thing you're hiding. It's really, really bad out there. I was on a cross, and they killed me, and I resurrected, and I, I came back to, I, I, I was raised from the dead just to come back and tell you you're doing a good job, keep hiding. No. Jesus walks in the room and I don't know if you know this about this phrase that he uses, peace be with you. It sounds very Catholic in the day and age in which we live. When I go to mass with some of my Catholic friends every now and then, that when they have a moment where they go, everybody walk around and say hey to each other and everybody walks around the room going, peace be with you and peace be with you and peace, it's kind of fun actually and so it sounds very religious and very high church at this day and age, when someone would say the phrase "Peace be with you," it was the most common form of greeting in that culture that someone could bring. In other words, there's no urgency. This is this is the equivalent of you and I walking in the room, going, "Hey guys, what's up? God bless you." Right? In other words, let me. Show, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you this picture. Jesus didn't walk in the room wringing his hands, Jesus walked in the room with his hands in his pockets like it was just another day because Jesus has never been threatened. Because Jesus has never been the victim. Some people like to say that Jesus was a victim. Some people like to say, well, Jesus can relate to victims because he was a victim. No, 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 no. That's bad theology. Jesus may have been victimized, but Jesus was never the victim. Jesus was the one that said, oh, I think I'll be the one that lays my life down. And oh, by the way, I'll be the one that takes it up again. So when Jesus showed up in the upper room, he didn't show up with fear and trembling and worry. He showed up with the eye of the tiger because he knows he's on the winning team and he's already defeated death and hell and the grave. Can I get an amen, right? Jesus shows up knowing what he has accomplished and now he is here to commission his followers to unlock the doors and to get out in the streets and to further the message. Because we don't hide, we advance. So number three, the, the, the presence of Jesus offers us courage and a sense of calling. What does he say? He says, you breathe on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have time to go through like the doctrine of the Holy Spirit this morning, nor would I do this, but listen to me very closely. When Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, just listen to this. You don't have to write this down, just listen. When Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus was saying, I commission you to go in the world and advance the name of my name and the gospel. I commission you to do that, but I'm not sending you by yourself. I am going to give you the greatest resource that you could ever have. I am going to give you everything necessary to accomplish this task. The Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is involved all throughout the scriptures. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. We see that in Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit empowers leaders. We see that in the book of Judges. The Holy Spirit teaches us. We see that in the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses. We see that in Acts 1-8. The Holy Spirit was involved in the resurrection. We see that in Romans eight eleven. The Holy Spirit lives in us and sanctifies us. We see that in Romans fifteen sixteen. The Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes. We see in 1 Corinthians two ten to realize our need for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you everything you need to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything. I didn't see a church budget in there. I didn't see programs. Programs. I didn't see buildings, just the Holy Spirit. Can I say something? Look at me. This is all very nice. I like it. You like it. I like it at my church too, right? I like the air condition. I like the lighting. I like it when it sounds good. I like it when I get to sit in a soft chair. I like it when people get to hear the gospel in four walls and a roof. I, I like it. All of this is just icing on the cake though. Because what we need as the church of Jesus Christ to advance the cause of Christ has already been given to us at the moment of salvation and that is the Holy Spirit. And can I just tell you something? For some of you who have been following Jesus for a year or a few weeks or maybe some of you have been following him for uh, 50 years, you know this if you've been following him a long time. When you became a Christian, you got all the Holy Spirit you were ever gonna get. It's not like you get stronger in Christ and so he gives you more Holy Spirit. It's not like we can take this person of the Trinity and go, let's divide him up. It's silliness when you think about it. You have everything you need to advance the name of Jesus. And of course, that leads us to point number four. The presence of Jesus offers for us a message for this mission. At the heart of this message is forgiveness and redemption. At the heart of this message is forgiveness and salvation. At the heart of this message is what only God could offer our lives. What only God could do for us. That's what's at the heart of this message. And and what's so beautiful about that is we advance this mission realizing that number one, we can't pull it off on ourselves. And number two, we can't accomplish it in someone else. Only God can do that. And so we have this message that's been given to us in which the mission revolves around. And of course that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I will say this to you and I will say it not in a preachy way. I'm not here to talk down or no. this is for all of us. I'm just talking, this is just, this is just straight talk this morning, all right? This is just, we're having an honest conversation. Advancing the name of Jesus is not optional. Can, can, let, me, let, me, let me say this a different way. If you call yourself a Christian and you live your whole life never advancing the name of Christ, you better ask yourself if you're really a Christian, right? I mean, just think about it, just, uh uh-uh, just, you were dead in your sins. Jesus did the great miracle of making you alive in a brand new creation. You'll never become an old creation in Christ. Every day you're a brand new creation in Christ. Every day is the day of salvation because his mercies are new. Right Every day, right? And so you are always and forever a brand new creation in Christ. He has accomplished the greatest miracle. You went from death to life and you go your whole life and never talk about that? That doesn't make any sense. If anything, that is evidence against Christianity. The person who can stay silent about their faith He's the person who you have to really wonder, have they ever really experienced the faith that they claim? I remember when I was 17 years old, I became a Christian when I was 17. Um, For several years, I was just very rebellious against the things of God. And I was raised in a Christian home. And I'll never forget because my dad was a pastor, and he was a pastor of a, a Baptist church, and which meant we went to church a lot, right? We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night, and if there was ever a function, we went to that too, right? I mean, we were at church a lot. And something happened in my thinking, and, and you gotta be careful of this. This happened in my thinking, and I began to view Christianity as a thing you do, as opposed to identity. It's a very dangerous but subtle shift. And so I began to view this as something you do, which means it's not really, it's more morals and ethics than it is gospel and transformation. And so I I just, if that's how you view Christianity, if Christianity is something you accomplish through righteous living, right? Then one of two things will happen. Either number one, you'll become so self-righteous and prideful that you think everybody should gather around you on Sunday. Or number two, you become bored and cynical about the church and just kind of say, forget it all. And so my dad came to me. I'll never forget, I was 17 years old. It's one of the only times I've ever seen him shed a tear. But my dad comes to me and he goes, son, we've given you so many chances. And for three years we've been patient, but things are getting worse. And you're ripping this home apart and your addictions are getting worse. And the crowd you're running with is obviously kind of part of the problem. And so he said, said, Brent, I don't know what else to do. We literally have come to the end of our options. And so I'm saying to you, son, that if you come home like that one more time, you don't have a home to come home to. And that was my dad. And then my mom got a hold of me. Dear Lord Jesus, then my mom got a hold of me, right? And that's a whole different deal when your mom gets a hold of you. It doesn't matter if you're seven, 17, 37, if you're her baby and if there's something wrong, she's in DEFCON 5, right? I mean, if you know, she's just right. So my mom comes to me, it's like a Wednesday or Thursday and she goes, we have to do something to fix and heal this family. This is not what God wants for our family. We need to do so. We need to, and so she said, "Here's what we're gonna do, Brent. This Friday night, I want our whole family. I had three younger siblings. Our whole family. We're gonna we're gonna go and we're gonna eat food together and we're gonna talk because we're from the south, and there is nothing that can't be solved." With a good meal, right? I mean, and I still kinda believe. I don't know if it's just cause I grew up in the South. There's nothing, there's no problem in the world that can't be solved over fried chicken, mashed potatoes, sweet tea, cornbread, and pecan pie. Can I get an amen? All right. And so and so so my mom, being the good Southern woman that she we're gonna go and we're gonna we're gonna have a meal as a family. And so Friday night rolled around and we we lived out in the country, we had a long gra- gravel driveway and we lived on a, a gravel road and and so we all piled in the in the minivan, but not the minivan now with the flat screens and video games and, and the, you know, the, the minivans that massage the shoulders of your second grader so that they're comfortable when they get out of the car and walk into school. Not that minivan, right? Not, not the minivan that, that I'm talking about the minivan that had wood on the side of it. You know, you remember that minivan, right? And you hope the air condition reached the back seat, right? That minivan. And so we all piled in the minivan and we got maybe halfway down the driveway before I began to verbally fight with my parents. And I don't, I don't, I'm being honest with you, church. I don't even know where all the anger and all the bitterness came from. I just know this. My dad turned right at the end of the driveway, drove to the end of the road, pulled in, there was a gas station. They pulled in to get some fuel up the, the, the van and then we were going to go. And I, was, I just couldn't sit there anymore. And so I just, I opened the door and I got out and I shut the door behind me as hard as I could. And I just, I just, I was standing in that gas station parking lot and I could see the steeple of the of the church that my dad pastored. And I looked at that church, and I looked at that van and I just, I just didn't want anything else to do with it. Remember, if Christianity is the thing you do, it leads to one of two places. You're either done with it all or it's all about you. And for me, I was just like done, man. I was I just, and so I just was, I began to walk away and, and I was going to go home and I was going to grab some things and I was going to leave because I had lots of options. I was just done. And so I I start walking and, and, and and then the, the van pulls up next to me and they're like, my dad's like, get in the car. Let's just talk, man. Let's just talk. And I think I said something like, no, thank you, right? And then they drove on and, and in, my, in my head, I thought they're gonna go on to their, to their meal and enjoy a meal and maybe they'll think about me, maybe they'll pray for me, but they're, they're just, they don't know what to do. But that's not what happened at all. They, they went home and they got on their knees and they started to pray for my salvation. They knew I was lost and they were praying that the kindness of God would lead me to Repentance. In other words, they were trying to advance the the message that was their mission in my life. And and I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I I, I, I was almost home. And before you got to our driveway, you went over a big hill and you came down the hill on the other side. And at the bottom of the hill, that was where our driveway was. And, And my mom, everybody started praying. My mom said, and this is where the story gets really cheesy, but I can't help it. It's mine. And my mom just goes, I'm going after him. And so I get to the top of that hill to come down the other side to our driveway and walking up the hill was my mom. And, 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 and I couldn't see all this from a distance. All I, I was just, I just, I didn't want this. This is not, I didn't want this. And she's getting closer and I'm starting to see, she's crying. And I'm not talking about like a tear trickling down your face in the middle of a song. Not that kind of crying, right? You know, I'm talking about like weeping and mascara everywhere and, and Halloween. And I mean, I'm just that kind of crying, just the ugly cries, you know? And so she's, 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 weep, she's literally weeping over the, the, the lostness of her son. And I really now didn't wanna have this conversation. And she comes up to me on this country road on this particular Friday night. And she grabs me and she looks at me and she just stares into my eyes and she says, Brent, I love you. And I did what I did, right? I just went, I know, Mom, I know, I love you too. I just kind of looked down, I know, I love you. She shook me and she goes, no, you don't understand. She said, I love you. I was like, I know, I know, know." No, you don't understand, she shakes me again, but now she's not even giving me a chance to respond. She just says, I love you, I love you, I love you. She's saying it over and over and over again, getting louder and louder, and I was really glad we lived in the country, right? And so, I mean, she just said, I love you, and I don't know how long we stood there. I don't know if it was five minutes or, or three minutes or 10 minutes or, I don't know, but somewhere in the midst of this, I looked her back in the eyes and and, uh, listen, ladies and gentlemen, here's the only way I know how to describe it to you. I saw the love of Jesus and the kindness of God caused me to look down in shame over my sin and repent. I went home, I reconciled my family And the patience of my family, really the patience of God. My family led me to the feet of Jesus. They were advancing the message that was their mission. That was their calling because they were free from fear and they had been given the peace of God. Everything that's in this text. I have to ask you a question. Are you, listen, listen, I have to ask you this because there's someone right now that's wandering a road and they're bitter and they're angry and they're lost and they're broken and they need someone, they need to come over the hill, not even realizing that they want it, saying even that they don't want it, but they need to come over the hill and they need to see that someone's coming towards them. need to see that the love of Jesus is chasing them down and will not let them go. that The kindness of God is that God is patient and loves us in our sin. And I want to ask you this question. Are you advancing the name of Jesus? where you play, where you live, the city and the culture and the subculture that God has placed you in, are you advancing? What is the message for this mission? It is that we go into the world and we meet people on the road of life and we go, guess what? I know you're messed up. I was messed up too. Jesus loves you. I know, I know, I've heard that my whole life. I went to church when I was a kid. No, you don't get it. Jesus loves you. Okay, I get it. No, no, you don't get it. Jesus loves you over and over and over again until the love of Jesus humbles them to the place where they realize they need Jesus. That's what we do. That's who we are. And if that's not what you're about, strong look into the mirror of Scripture and ask if you really are following Jesus because I don't know how you can follow Jesus without telling people about Jesus. If that's where you are today, I'm going to ask that you would let the kindness of God lead you to repentance. I'm not asking you to get up, I'm not asking you to move around, but in this room and in every room on every campus that we would allow the kindness of God to lead us to places of repentance. And I have to ask another question. And this is where we're gonna land the plane this morning. Could you do me a favor? You you know you're weak, I don't. You you know if you're physically exhausted. (laughs) You know if you're tired. I'm gonna ask us all over this room to close our eyes, but if you're tired, don't bow your head. The point of closing our eyes is to focus, not to rest, when it comes to prayer. And so I'm gonna ask you, to maybe even not bow your head if you're tired. I'm gonna ask you to stay focused on this moment and on every campus. Would you just would you just close your eyes? And you don't you don't have to bow your head. You go, can we do that in church? It's okay. I read it somewhere, all right? On the internet. Alright? Okay. So here we are, eyes closed all over this room. All over every room. I wanna ask this question. Is there anybody in this room that would say, I need Jesus just to walk in the room of my life. I I, I just, before you raise your hand on any campus, I, I just need you to listen before you raise a hand. But what I'm saying is that you need Jesus to show up. You need the presence of Jesus in your life. I don't know how else to explain it other than to say it that simply. And so whatever campus, you're at today, if you're willing to say I need Jesus to show up, to give me freedom from fear, to give me peace because of his presence and to give me a, a sense of calling on my life and this mission and message that I advance. If that's where you're at, I need Jesus to show up. Would you do me a favor right now? Would you just lift your hand up across every campus and in this room? Would you hold your hands up just for another moment? I just want to see all the hands. I'm not going to point you out, I promise you. I just want to see the hands. I'm going to ask you if you raised your hand, there's several of us in at least in this room and I think in certainly in some of our other rooms and campuses. Would you do me a favor? Would you lower your hand and listen very closely? And if you're if you raised your hand and you said, "I need the presence of Jesus in my life." and you want it, then I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with me, but don't pray it before you hear it. Listen very closely. It goes something like this, Lord Jesus, today I realize how much I need you. (laughs) I realize that you are the only one who can offer my life peace and purpose. And so I'm gonna ask you to pray. Jesus, that I realize that I'm broken and that I'm sinful and I, and Jesus, I need you to forgive me of these sins. Jesus, please forgive me. And I turn from my sins and I, Jesus, I turn to you and I believe in you and I trust in you with my whole life and my whole future. Jesus, would you step out of heaven and into my heart and into my life and make me a new creation? If you lifted your hand earlier today, or just a few moments ago, excuse me. And that prayer expresses what you would like to see happen in your life because you want the presence of Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me right now. You don't have to say this out loud, but you have to mean it with everything that's inside of you. So here we go. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, this morning, I recognize how much I need you. And I realize that you are the only one that can give my life peace and purpose. I also recognize that I'm broken and sinful. So Jesus, I turn from my sins and I turn to you Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. And I place my trust in you. I place my faith in you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. And I trust you with my whole life and future. Jesus, would you step out of heaven and into my life this morning? our campuses this morning if you prayed that prayer with me no one is going to, like I said, no one will point you out no one will embarrass you just so I know how to pray in this room and across our campuses if you prayed that prayer this morning would you just lift your hand back up real quick for me yeah, several of us all over this room hold it up for just another moment would you do me one favor before you leave today there's gonna be a sheet of paper. You put your hands down, there's gonna be a sheet of paper that you were given when you came in, or is in your seat or whatever. Nobody's, like I said, nobody's gonna say, hey, stand up here, we'll put a spotlight on you. But would you, Sean's gonna come, Pastor Sean, and tell you in a moment how to indicate that you made that decision today, because we wanna, as a church, give you some information to help you get started in your journey of following Jesus. So I'm gonna ask that you would indicate on that card in a few moments the decision that you've made today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that we've been able to gather. Thank you that we've been able to sing songs to you. Thank you that we've been able to study the word and thank you that as we have experienced scripture this morning, Jesus, we have experienced you. Jesus, I pray for us that we would be a people who don't hide but rather advance the name and the cause of Christ. And Jesus, I thank you for the several people across all of our campuses who have, have the many people who have placed their faith faith and trust in you. And I pray that you would help this church to come alongside them and know how to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you have showed up in our lives, that you've given us peace, a sense of calling, and a mission. Thank you for the purpose that you've placed in every, on every life in this room. In your precious name, I pray.
0: Amen and amen. Would you help me thank Grant today? I know there are several of you, I was standing there as Brent asked you to